Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. But wait, there's more. Whether it's your first time or you're planning on revisiting some of your favorites, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Follow the Bill Simmons podcast, The Interviews, on Spotify now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer. Is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Welcome into episode four of The Captain. It's New York, New York right here on The Ringer. And we're starting the show with an absolute bang. We have a key member of the Yankee dynasty, a guy who knows Derek Jeter very well, the greatest closer in the history of baseball, and it's not even close, Mariano Rivera. What's happening, Mariano? No, man, not much, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mariano, we're geeked out, and we're fired up to have you. But first things first, you got to tell me what's going on here with the United International Baseball League. You're a guy who got his start in Panama, learning the game, growing the game. Now you have an opportunity to do so in the Middle East. So what inspired you to get involved here? John, thank you for the question, man, because that's a great question. What inspired me to, to grow the game in, in the Middle East, uh, India, Pakistan, was just the opportunity that uh, two billion new fans have, okay? And that's why, that's what attracted me. That's why I believe that we can bring something special. You know that we are passionate to play the game of baseball here. Uh, America's pastime, but then we want to bring that pastime to uh, those countries, 
So, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate because, I mean, we have something special here that we can do. You know, every time that you have a new venture, uh, new opportunities, why not? Someone had to to uh, uh, do that and someone had to bring the uh, the uh, the game to them. I know the Major League Baseball is there, but uh, uh, we're doing, we're going beyond that. We're going deeper. We're going uh, uh, with uh, abilities, uh, Hall of Famers, and uh, desire to teach the game the right way, you know, to invest on these boys that uh, have abilities. I mean, again, you know, I, I can pass that these boys have been playing cricket. You know, there is 900 million fans that follow cricket. So baseball and cricket, there are some similarities. Okay, so I mean, we wanted to make sure that those abilities, we grow into a baseball, okay? That's why I think, no, I don't think, I know that we are capable to do this. So I'm passionate for that, knowing that we have a new opportunities, new venture to go there and do the job that we know how to do and play the game that we know how to play, teach the game that we know how to teach. So when in a few more, few more years, uh, they will be playing a uh, major league baseball. Well, Mariano, I like the sound of that. You and Barry Larkin are certainly proper guys to go and teach the game overseas. And I, I think you're a guy who can teach us a thing or two about your time with Derek Jeter. So they talk about this. We're doing this like docu-series basically, Mo, after every single one of these episodes. And I'm in my glory. I'm reliving all these games of my childhood. The fact that you guys never lost, like, Growing up as a kid, it was the best. It was like the Yankees are going to win every single year. You specifically, first time meeting Derek Jeter, did you see greatness written all over him? Or you're like, who's this tall, skinny kid coming in, uh, making all these errors in the minor leagues? Like, what was your first impression of Derek? Yeah, when I saw Derek for the first time was in 1992 when he was a rookie, uh, my cousin. Ruben was playing with him. So I came to see my cousin and all of a sudden I, I, I'm watching the game and I, I see this boy with uh, skinnies can be. If I was skinny, man, thank God it didn't, uh, a lot of wind didn't blow that time because they would take him like a kite because he was so skinny. He wear these high tops, uh, shoes. and uh, But I saw something on him. Yes, you asked me about it. I saw something special. About the body way he 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 was playing the way he 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 was hitting the ball and you see ability right away. It just didn't matter time, okay. Yes, make a lot of errors, but that's part of the game, okay. And then he start building himself. I then I got hurt that same year, nineteen ninety two. Then in ninety three, uh, I was able to play with him in Greensboro, North Carolina, because I was rehabbing. Uh, from a, a surgery, and that's when I start uh, playing with Derek for the first time, and um, see him from '92 to '93. The jump that he made, uh, uh, how to learn the game of baseball. I mean, it was spectacular. I mean, to tell you the truth, it just is just matter of time because I know that he has the all the abilities to play in the big leagues. Well, I think about your career, Mariano, and in 1995. You took the league by storm. I know a lot of people say 96, and I get it. You were the best setup man that year. 
But I remember September and October of that 95 season. We're like, who's this skinny kid coming out of the bullpen, throwing smoke, shutting down the Seattle Mariners? I always have said, if Buck Showalter knew what he had, uh, who knows what would have happened in 95. I think you would have put out that fire for David Cohn. But then take me to 96. You got all you young guys. You, Jeter, Bernie is on the rise and really is a force. And you guys go through this special 96 season. That one-two punch with you and Wetland. Mariano, you were going two innings, three innings, whatever Joe Torre needed. How cool was that for you to kind of emerge on the scene there? And Mariano, for what it's worth, that 96 year, you should have won the Cy Young Award. Just saying. <laughs> John, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yes, you said it. I mean, uh, uh, I was, we were blessed enough to, for the boss to keep us together. You know, I mean, uh, most of the time, the youngsters like us, uh, uh, the New York Yankees, for some reason, they trade them and get older players. I don't know, more experience, more something like that. But thank God I didn't do that that year and beyond. Because, I mean, that gave us the opportunity to continue playing the way we play in the minor leagues. Okay, when they kept us together, and uh, I believe the rest is history. Because, I mean, uh, Andy was doing his job at this time rotation. At that time, they moved me to the bullpen. I was doing my job. Derek was doing his job in uh, in uh, shortstop. And, and Posada uh, was already in the horizon. Bernie was already established. So they kept the, the, the core of that team and built us in a different way. So, I mean, from the minor leagues, we, we were taught that uh, we need to win regardless, you know. So we brought that type of mentality to the big leagues. Yes, when I got the opportunity to be the setup man for John Wetland in 1996, they were, that year was something special. That was my second year in the big leagues. And now I, I, I became the, the setup man for the New York, New York Yankees to uh, a great closer, uh, which was uh, John Wetland. I learned a lot from him that season and, uh, and vice versa. Even though I was a rookie, he always was asking me questions about how to attack hitters and, and situations where he was watching me do it. So uh, I didn't have that much experience in the big leagues. That was my second year in the big leagues. He has a bunch of years in the big leagues already. But at the same time, I mean, we were just a combination that uh, to today people talk about it because that was that was amazing. I mean, that was a one-two punch that. Uh, um, brought us the championship back to New York. Mo, talk me through 97. You guys win the World Series in 96. You were sent to become the closer. You have a tremendous regular season. And then Sandy Alomar happens. And I believe this because you said it in the documentary, and I think it's pretty obvious for you and the Yankees. 98, 99, 2000 doesn't happen if you don't have the experience of losing in 1997. For you specifically, how did you learn from that? How did you get off the mat? Because for a lot of guys, Mariano, they give up a home run like that. They, do, they don't overcome it. That haunts them for the rest of their playing career. You not only take that, you grow from it, you learn from it, and then you throw like this insane streak of scoreless innings in the World Series. How did you and how did the team learn from that loss in 1997? John, that, that was a, a, a year that Definitely, we thought that we would be in the playoff. I mean, we were in the playoff, but deep in the playoff, okay? And uh, we fell short. I mean, game 
game, I think that was with game, game six, if I'm mistaken, or game four, because we play, uh, uh, that was our first series, yes, so that was game four. And uh, game five, they we lost game five also. You know, that series was so, so important to us because we just won the previous year. We won 96, we wanted to come back in 97. So when that happened, it, it was just, I wish we continued playing the, the season, the, the 1998 season right away. But uh, it was such a uh, hard time that uh, I learned from that. I said, you know what, I won't, I won't like to have this feeling again. So therefore, what was there for me to learn? If it was something, I had to find what it is. So definitely, I took the whole year to prepare myself for 1998. And at the same time, uh, make sure that I don't make that mistake again. Because, I mean, that, that just happened. Because, I mean, it's no way that if I throw that pitch again to Sandy Alomar, he would hit the ball like that. You know, but it just, just happened. You know, so, I mean, I took the challenge and uh, we were looking forward. I was looking forward for the following season. You know, when season, when 1998 season started, we were ready from the get-go. We were ready from spring training. Okay, and then we had the opportunity to face the Cleveland Indians again in the American League Championship. And the rest is history. I think we know what happened there, Mariano. Game set match. And there was a whole lot of game set match in 98, 99, 2000. And thank heavens, the Yankees were not dumb enough to trade you for Felix Fermin. Your reaction in the documentary when you mentioned that, that was, you were like, Felix Fermin? Come on, man. I mean, Mariano, you're in Seattle. I'm just saying the Mariners might have won four out of five championships, not the Yankees. I'm telling you, man. No, I mean, I, I, I'm glad that didn't happen because, I mean, uh, uh, I think that uh, there are players that were only born to be a Yankee. Uh, I think I was one of them. You know, I, I, I don't think I was born to be nothing but Yankee. And uh, thank God that that happened. Okay, because, I mean, again, we grow up uh, being the best that we can have, being the best that we can be. And uh, when, when Derek, Andy, myself, Jorge, Bernie, like I said, was established already, came up to the to the system and made it to the big leagues and stay here in New York and made it in New York, we were built for this. We were built to stay in New York. And that's what happened. You know, I mean, uh, uh, all of us. So when when I found out that I was considered being traded to the, uh, to the Seattle Mariners for Felix Fermin, I said, come on, man. And they are, they have to be someone else better than Felix Fermin. No, 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 hey, Felix, I love you, Papa, but uh, it's, it's nothing wrong. Okay? Hey, us Yankee fans, we feel the same way, Mariano, because uh, you mm -hmm. and a Mariners jersey just wouldn't have looked right and wouldn't have been the fit. Um, the cutter, you were a four-seam fastball guy. Like, yes. 96, you came up. I remember Mariano raising the ladder. Girardi would be standing up. Lairitz would be standing up. Get it at the eyes. They would swing right through it. When did you make the switch, and who inspired you to start throwing that pitch like crazy? No one, no one inspired me and, and no one taught me that pitch, but God, you know what I mean? Uh, he gave me the pitch and I learned that to uh, learn how to use it. And 
again, 17 seasons after that, I still throwing the same fish and they couldn't hit it. And that's the same passion that I have, John, because I have to talk about this because that same passion that I have to play the game of baseball the way we did, that's the same passion that I have to bring the baseball to a, a different league, to a different people, to a different generation, to different countries. Okay, and that's why UIBL is, is so important to me because, I mean, we wanted to do something special. The same way that we experienced that, the platform that we got through baseball here in America, we wanted to bring it to the Middle East, to Pakistan and India, because we know that we are capable and we have the capacity to do that. And so changing now, lives, Mariano. Listen, think about your life. Think about all the lives down in Latin America of guys who made it big and were given an opportunity and made the most of that opportunity. It's a great, great point. That's why you're doing some wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, I got to know, could you have gone a fourth inning in that game seven against the Red Sox of 2003? You got no doubt about that. I mean, that's what I was thinking. So you, they would have had to drag you off the mound is what you're telling me. Bro, you, ha you had to drag me out of the mound. You know why? Because, I mean, there's no tomorrow. I was the last in the bullpen. And I said, you know what? You had to drag me out. I told Mel came to me and says, Moreno, you're done. I said, done what? Oh, you don't pitch? And I said, hmm, I'm going to pitch. So, but he said, well, we're going to pitch because we're going to win. That's exactly what he said. We, you're going to pitch because we're going to win. And two minutes later, I mean, first pitch, uh, we were on the mound celebrating. Would you say, Mariano, from an individual standpoint, those three shutout innings, you threw in that game seven when you're trying to preserve the curse of the Bambino and get to the World Series. I mean, your reaction after the Boone home run, it says it all. You were so emotional. You went right to the mound. Lee Mazzilli's right there. Um, would you say, thinking back on your career, that's the most proud you ever were in a Yankee uniform? Well, one of the games, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I always was proud of the New York Yankees, just the fact that I was wearing the uniform. That was my biggest uh, thing. But that game was special because, I mean, it's against Boston. And uh, we just won the, the, the American League championship the way we did. <laughs> I was praying about it so hard too. So, I mean, I was thankful to the Lord, to the Lord that allowed us to play the game and win the game in that matter. So, I mean, uh, when we, when Adam hit that ball, I went straight to the mountain thanking the Lord. And we were thanking the Lord that you ended up being a New York Yankee and you were pitching a ninth inning. And Mariano, listen, every team, we say it all the time now, and I'm sure you hear this all the time. The ninth inning, you never know what you're going to get. These guys, they ride the roller coaster. No, not with you, man. Like now, Even when you blew big games, which happened, and you bounced back. Oh, one, you bounced back. The, the Red Sox, which was so cheap. I mean, Millar, the, the stolen bed. I don't even want to talk about it. It makes me sick to my stomach. But those losses, and then 2009, and you're there, and Derek's there, and Jorge's there, and Andy's there. I know for me, like, I'm spoiled. I grew up with you guys winning four out of five. You don't win for eight years. Like, I look back on 09 now, and I'm like, that was cool, man. That was like the, the throwback tour, the core four hanging around and winning a championship. Is that your favorite title of the five? I would say that I was one of them. Yes, because, I mean, now, at this time, my, my, my sons were older, and they were able to understand what I was doing. You know, so... When I saw them celebrating even more than me, I was happy because they have opportunity 
to celebrate the game that I love to play, and they were involved. So to me, that was my favorite just because that. I mean, uh, sometimes you take it uh, uh, for granted that uh, you won't be there. There's no easy to be in the in the playoffs, especially in the World Series. And when we, from 2003 to 2009, we have that drought, it was like, you know what? We've been, we have done something special that I don't think not too many teams will have or too many players will experience. So, I mean, I was thankful. And uh, when we come back and won in 2009, that was just the cherry on top of the ice cream. You know, Mariano, a lot of people say that you were A-Rod's hype man in 2009. You know, A-Rod had to get over the hump of winning. You guys had you know, done all this winning, and he had a lot of moments of futility in the postseason. But, like, you were in his ear. A lot of people have said you were the guy kind of calming Alex Rodriguez down. Did you give him any messages throughout that 2009 season, I, you think of? I, I get that man a lot of messages for the whole <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Alex was a, a big, huge uh, uh, force on that 2009 World Series, especially in the playoff on, on against uh, LA, uh, uh, the Angels, uh, the American League Championship. He was and the Angels, oh, Mariano. I hated the Angels, man. That stupid monkey playing out there. You guys always had a lot of trouble with them. I know, I know. We did have a little, a little trouble with that, but at the same time, again, you know, I mean, that's what make you good. Then you stay with it and you you trust your abilities. And at the end, you come on top. So, again, guy, Joe, I mean, I have to tell you, John, is that uh, being being able to experience all those moments, you imagine when we bring this baseball to two, two billion fans in all of those countries. I mean, it would be amazing. So... Thank you, though. Thank oh, you for listen, thank you for coming on. And I expect you to grow the game like crazy. You guys are going to have a ton of fun in the Middle East. You guys are doing some unbelievable, unbelievable work. Listen, I speak on behalf of a lot of Yankee fans listening. Thank you. In all seriousness, man, thank you for all the joy and happiness you brought to our lives. Continued success. You're the best. And uh, Enter Sandman just doesn't sound the same if you're not thinking about Mariano Rivera. So keep killing it, my friend, okay? Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. 
So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. The greatest closer in the history of baseball joined us here for episode four. Now I welcome Jacko in. And, you know, Jacko, that's where I'm going to start. When you think about episode four, in many ways, it features one of the moments of Rivera's ultimate brilliance. And it also features an ultimate moment of failure that didn't let Mariano Rivera be defined, which easily could have happened. I mentioned that to him with Sandy Alomar, 2001. He's a chance to go and win four straight World Series. He comes in in the ninth inning. We know what happens. But pretty wild that you could see Mariano be at the low of blowing Game 7 of the World Series. And then two years later, he's throwing three innings to shut out baseball against the Red Sox in the ultimate 2003 Game 7. Absolutely. I mean, that's his brilliance. You got to have, they always say, you got to have a short memory when you're a closer, right? Because you can't remember blowing the game the day before. You got to come back the next day. And like you say, you know, he had, he had two big moments. He had the Sandy Alomar in 97 and then 2001. And I mean, 2001, it was so painful to watch because, uh, you know, I, I mean, just so painful. It's a little check swing blooper by Luis Gonzalez. And the more painful thing is that when they had the they had the double play. Brocious doesn't throw it across the diamond. They had and, him. They had and him. Brocious was a great Yankee. He's, you know, won a World Series MVP, the whole nine yards. I can't kill Brocious, but. Oh my God! In retrospect, I that, I must I don't know if I remembered that, or I never really saw it before, or or I just put it out of my memory. But that I didn't realize like they had him dead to rights at first. Like it was, it would not have been a close play. Ball game over. Celebrate! It's it's crazy. But that you know that's baseball, Susan. As they yeah, say. yeah. And what you see in this episode is that the Yankees, who were the beneficiary of getting every bounce, getting every break, finding every way to win imaginable throughout 96 through 2000, finally started to see the worm turn a little bit and it started going against them. But this mm -hmm. episode, Jacko, starts with the horrific events of September the 11th. And it's actually pretty surreal that I am doing this podcast right here and right now, as you can overlook, I'm like in full world trade, where SNY wow. studios are basically, you know, a, a stone's throw from where the World Trade Center used to be. And Incredible. I was at school at the time. I had classmates who lost loved ones in those towers. Jeez. I'm sure you had a lot of people that you mm -hmm. knew who were impacted. And, and you know, anybody who was tied into the tri-state area or was tied into the boroughs or Long Island or Connecticut, you were going to be impacted by 9-11 in some way. And then Jacko, they play baseball. And I don't know if you felt this way. Maybe I'm in eighth grade. Maybe I'm just like young and dumb. But like the idea of getting myself back to a routine of normalcy was so needed after those two weeks that we went through, dude. Absolutely. And I mean, at the time, you you know, you basically thought like the world was ending, you know, we were going to war. You didn't know what was going on. If more attacks were coming, you know, you had the anthrax thing, you know, after right after 9-11, it was a crazy, crazy time. And anybody that's young and didn't live through it doesn't understand how crazy it was. So the notion of we're going to get back to normality and have, you know, go back to school, go back to work, have baseball, you know, movies, entertainment was just crazy. And and the Yankees and the Mets, I mean, to the extent, it, and, you know, I always find it a little a little much when people say, oh, sports, you know, like the Saints winning the Super Bowl made up for Katrina or help people with Katrina. It's a little trite to say that. And, you know, you never get over 9-11 and the magnitude and the horror of it. But, 
it does help to take your mind off of things and and get back to a little bit of living and not so much of the of the emotion and the sadness. So it definitely it definitely helped in that regard, I'm sure. The Yankees and the Mets played a big part in the healing process. And Jeter talks about the guys going to ground zero, talking to loved ones, talking mm-hmm. to family members, how powerful, how moving all of that was. And then Jacko, you get to the division series in 2001. And I remember that year vividly. Yankees, they still were the Yankees. They were aging, but they won the division. They won 90-plus games. They were the three-time defending world champs. And they weren't limping into the postseason like they did in 2000. But you knew Tino's a free agent at the end of the year. Brocious a free agent at the end of the year. Knobloch a free agent at the end of the year. There was going to be a lot of change. O'Neal, a lot of people knew going in that was going to be his last year and that he was going to retire. So, like, that postseason was like a last hurrah, and then they go at home against a really good Oakland team, an Oakland team that they played the year prior in the postseason, a team that beat them up in the second half. Like, I remember in the regular season, Stanton gave up, like, a walk-off, either three-run homer or salami to Jason Giambi, and I was like, man, I don't love the idea of the Yankees playing the A's. And when they lost the first two games of that series, Jacko, I have to be honest, and I'm the biggest Mr. Positive Yankee fan you're going to find when they lost those first two games, I thought it was over. Yeah, and you could be, you know, you could forgive them after, you know, so many years of greatness and long postseason runs and you figure that's got to take a toll. They're playing more games than anybody else, you know, over the course of, you know, going back to 96. So this year you're talking five years worth of postseason runs and just the emotion of everything with 9-11. So totally could be forgiven if the Yanks just bow out in the division series to, like you say, a good A's team. Like, no no shame in it, and nobody's going to say, well, now there's an asterisk on their dynasty or anything along those lines, no doubt. They're playing game three, and I would argue, after Jorge Posada hits the home run against Barry Zito, that this Jacko is the most iconic moment of Derek Jeter's career. Bottom half of the seventh inning, Jeremy Giambi's on first base. Terrence Long ropes the ball down the right field line. And my first thought is, fuck, this game's going to be tied, even with Giambi running, because yep. Oakland's a football field. It gets super wacky and super deep down in that right field corner. Spencer airmails the cutoff. All of a sudden, Jeter is coming out of nowhere. You have, In my years of watching baseball, and I haven't seen it since, you don't see a shortstop hanging between first and home plate when a guy Never. misses a cutoff throw. Not only is Jeter there, it's a perfect shovel pass. Posada, and I didn't know this, he admits it in the documentary. His first thought is, I'm getting the ball and I'm throwing it to second base. I'm not even thinking about the runner. Right. And then he said, no split thought. second, he saw Giambi, swipes the tag on him, and it's like, holy shit, what just happened? Derek Jeter with one of the best plays and one of the most just smart baseball intellect savvy that you're ever going to see. Jacko, I remember I couldn't stop buzzing about that play. That play is Derek Jeter in a nutshell. It absolutely is. And like you say, it's never been done since. Nobody's ever seen it before. Nobody else would do it. Nobody else would have the foresight to see where the throw is going and say, I have to go over there and cut it off. 
And and Posada is a professional baseball player. He's played in a million baseball games. He was amazed by it because he said, I'm getting ready to throw to second. I didn't think we had a chance at the runner, like that it would even be a notion of that the ball would be placed so perfectly. And all I had to do was turn to my left and and tag him out. It's an incredible play. And that's why, you know, there's a lot of, as I said earlier, there's a lot of blowback on this and Jeter and too much hype. And Jeter gets a lot of shit for his defense. And I, if I have to hear more about this, his range and all this bullshit. They're the same nerds, play. by the way, Jacko, who love Joey Gallows. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> exactly right. I don't care if it was Ozzie Smith. Nobody else has made that play or name any other great defensive shortstop that you want. Nobody's making that play. And he did. So I don't want to hear anything about his defense and some made up stats that had just got invented 10 minutes ago by a 13 year old. I don't care about that. I want to see what you did on the field. And he did it in the biggest moment of his team's season right there with the, with a division series on the line. And he made that play. It's incredible. You can't say enough about it. The minute the Yankees and Cheater make that play and win game three, my moment of they're not winning, it was, no, screw that. They're winning the World Series. They're doing it again. <laughs> they end up winning the series against Oakland. And it's the idea of Jeter not just being in the right place at the right time, but understanding the moment. And Sweeney Murray, right. my pal, used to work with him at over WFAN. He detailed that very eloquently, I thought, in his documentary. And Jacko, when they played the Mariners, maybe this was the arrogant, cocky Yankee fan coming back to me. I didn't give a rat's ass that they won 116 games. I said, the Yankees just down 0-2. They're playing for New York City. They beat the Mariners last year. They're beating them again. Like, I was like, they are not losing this series. Did you have that I remember. I absolutely was. I totally remember it, and I was at the height of my cockiness in 2001, but uh, Yankee-wise. But I had no fear of the Mariners. I didn't care that they won 116 games. I just was like, this is not going to be a problem. And you figure... The Yankee magic with what this what it meant to the city and everything else that like, you know, wake up the echoes, the Notre Dame thing, all the history and everything else, karma, fate, whatever it was that that was going to answer. And I, I didn't think the Mariners had a prayer and they didn't. Game four, I wish they would have shown some highlights. Maybe they didn't. I'm blanking on it. Game four at the stadium was electric. They were down one in the eighth inning. Bernie against the trash can, Arthur Rhodes. Anytime Arthur <laughs> Rhodes came into a game, I was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You knew the Ball Yankees game, are going right. to hit them. With the Always. Orioles, they hit them. With uh, the Mariners and the A's, you name the team, they just destroyed Arthur Rhodes. Bernie with the homer to tie it. And then Soriano clutch against Sasaki, right center field, Yankee Stadium Boom. and pandemonium. Then they smoke them in game five and they taunt in Pinella, which was amazing because right. Pinella basically Poor guaranteed that there was going to be a game six. So right. they gave it to him. And Remember then the stage, yep. stage was set for the World Series. The Yankees trying to win four out of five, trying to or five out of six, four straight World Series against this expansion upstart Arizona Diamondback team that had Luis Gonzalez hitting all these home runs, but was as scary as can be because of Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. When the Yankees, Jacko, lost the first two games, where did you stand? Did you give them a shot? Were you saying this is going to be too much? Or did the Oakland experience kind of put you in a position where you said, you know what, this team's still got it in. No, I, I too much history. And I thought they still had it in them. I, I was just starting my dislike for Kurt Schilling at that point, And he had the thing about, you know, dynasty and mystique or whatever. Or club dancers. Right. So I already disliked him and his mouth and he was way too yappy, but he, you had to be afraid of him and, and Randy Johnson. I mean, you had to, that's a deadly one too, but, you know, they had beaten Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz in 96 and in 99. So, 
you know, the big they beat a team with 116 wins. The big pitchers really didn't scare me, frankly. I'm like, yeah, they're down two nothing, but they won those in Arizona. When it comes back to New York, I figured it was you know roles were going to get reversed. They win game three. Clemens is brilliant. Game four, they're down. They don't hit Kurt Schilling. They're down to their last out in the ninth inning. Tino Martinez against Young Young Kim. Pandemonium. Just out yep. of reach of Steve Finley. I remember jumping up and down, going crazy when the Yankees tied the game. And how about Jeter telling Tino right after the home run, this shit's over, baby. This, is over. this shit's <laughs> over. Like, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a boss? It's a tie game, bottom of the ninth inning of the World Series. And Jeter is just so confident that the Yankees are going to win. And Jacko, he was well within his rights. He was right, Mr. November. That's where he was born, right? That's How where cool he was born. How cool was that, by the way, to see the, the guy with the, the sign? Strike midnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy is creative enough to get a sign. I don't know if he brought it. I don't know if he thought the game was going to go to midnight, whatever the case may be. He's holding up Mr. November. Incredible. And sure enough, as the clock strikes midnight, Jeter hits the walk-off home run against the sidewinding Byung Young Kim, who he apparently claimed he never liked hitting side on him, but he saw the ball well that day, had a moment. Typical bing, Jeter. Bing, boom. I hope the guy trademarked Mr. November when he made that sign. He would have made a lot of money on shirts and hats and everything else. You know, hopefully he had the foresight to come up with it, bring the sign to the game. I hope he made a few bucks off of it. We both went to game five of the 2001 Correct. World Series, and I vividly remember it. Uh, it's probably the best experience I ever had in the old Yankee Stadium. Like, I went to a lot of great games. I saw some great playoff games. But that game, that scene, the chance for Paul O'Neill in the ninth inning. Like, Jacko, that was so surreal. They're down two runs in the ninth inning of a World Series game. About to be down three to two. And yet the crowd, like, you couldn't even think about the game in the ninth inning because you were just showing so much love for Paulie. Well. That's the, I was there. I was lucky enough with my buddy got tickets to the World Series and we went down there. We were in the upper deck in right field. It's the greatest sporting event I have attended in person in my life. And we drove down there. The, the, you know, the remnants of the World Trade Center are still smoldering, still smoke rising into the sky. They have a tattered flag from the World Trade Center flying in the outfield. The Eagle Challenger, you know, flies in before the game when they're singing uh, the national anthem, the famous Eagle at Yankee Stadium that they brought out for all the big events. Swelling with patriotic pride. Everybody's got their FDNY and NYPD hats and Yankee everything on. And that game for nine innings was as dead a game as you ever want to attend. Yankees getting shut out. Arizona hit a couple of home runs. Barajas yep. hit one. I want to say Finley hit another. Messina was good. But I believe it was Miguel Batista who just shut the Yankees down. I mean, they didn't yep. hit it all. But Nothing. in the ninth inning, Jacko, they're down two. And here comes Kim. And I'm again. like, I'm like, they can't do this again, can they? Like they they they, they can't do this again. And well, they did. Brocious hits did. that home run and the place absolutely erupted. I mean, the upper deck where I was was shaking. Strangers hugging strangers, everybody in my section jumping up and down. Guy I was with got hit in the head because we were like I, somebody headbutted him, hugging him. We're hugging strangers. It was that was absolutely incredible, and that crowd it was like so dead for nine innings. They needed a release, and when that release came to tie the game from Brocious, that place just freaking exploded. It was and Jeter a and even Jeter Yankee with Stadium. Then you got to wait a couple of extra innings because that game yep. I think went to the eleventh or the twelfth. Yep. Soriano, who had a flair for the dramatic that year. 
Gets he did. a base hit. It was a bang bang play, a home play. Yep. And when the Yankees won that game, I'm with you. I'm like high five and hugging anybody in sight. Didn't care who yep. they were. I mean, I would. You were in the upper deck, right? I was down the third base line in the upper deck, and I felt like I was going to fall just hugging people left and right. Absolutely. And leaving that stadium that night, Jacko, it was over, bro. Like it, it was, was over. It, how could the Yankees, after those two wins, in the drama, in the fashion in which they won them? You're telling me now the Yankees are not going to go win the World Series? It was over, dude. Was I over. thought it was a rock-solid lock. We're leaving Yankee Stadium. Everybody's singing New York, New York, full-throated, screaming, tears in their eyes, hugging, jumping. It was fantastic. I'm like, I'm, we're coming back for the parade. We were, my buddies and I, we were already planning to be on the parade because there was no question there would be one because it was like, how do you win two games in a row like this? How do you win two games in a row? I love Jeter's quote in the documentary when he turned to somebody on the bench and he goes, can you believe this shit? When they, when they, when Brocious hits the home run, <laughs> can you believe this shit? Two nights in a row. So I left and I was convinced, you know, there's no way they're going to lose. No way they're going to lose the World Series. Well, but game six happens. Did. Andy yep. Pettit's tipping his pitches. They get absolutely smoked. They steamrolled. Game seven happens though. Classic. Epic Game 7. One of the best Game 7s in the history of the sport. Clemens and Schilling. The Yankees fall behind. They tie it up. And yep. then in the eighth inning, Soriano, one of the Again. most forgotten Yankee home runs, one of the most forgotten World Series home runs ever. Which would have been the most remembered if they, if they, if oh, they got sure turned to double play. His freaking ankles. <laughs> right. He is yanking it over the fence. Torrey, who never showed emotion in the games, is doing the big fist pump. Right. After the Yankees take the lead and anybody and their mother and their mother's mother said, Mariano, six outs, one run lead, four straight, baby. Four straight. Sign, uh, sign me up. Uh, sign me up. Not, sign me up a hundred times out of a hundred. I'd put my life on the line. Your life's on the line. Who do you want closing the game? Mariano Rivera, without a question. And, you know, a couple of things here and there, bloops and bing, bang, boom. There we go. Yeah. A little... Classic. It was a classic Mariano in on the hands, check swing, and those happened. And they had, you know, got over the infielder's head, got got in the no man's land, and there we go. I love the Jeter quote. And I never told this story, Jacko. I was watching the game up in my bedroom before my parents renovated their house. Weirdly, I'm watching the game in my bedroom. And for some dumb reason, I said, I want to watch with everybody in the ninth inning to watch them celebrate. Like, I. Never live that down. You know, like it's one of those superstitious mistakes that I feel not the brocious play or not Luis Gonzalez or not Tony Womack. I am taking some responsibility for what happened well, in game seven of the World Series. I, I've got one of those that I will tell you when we unfortunately have to come back and go through the 2004 debacle. I will tell you how I am personally responsible for that. So put, right, put a so pin I'm, in that. We'll, we'll come back even. to that. Fair yeah, enough. We'll be yeah, even. All right. It's fair. What I love from Jeter is he says after that game, a lot of guys were very reflective and it was this yeah. spirit of, hey, this has been such a great run. We're so proud of what we've accomplished. It happens. Ba, ba, ba. And Jeter's like, huh, bullshit. I right. can't sleep. I'm moody. I'm miserable. I don't like this. I can't stand yep. this. And I, that's Jeter in a nutshell, man. And you know what? He was like, you shouldn't be okay with this. You shouldn't be accepting of this because we win here. That's what we do. And if we don't, it's a failure. 
That's right. And it bothered him for weeks. His buddy that was down in Tampa and said he was moody like that for weeks and, you know, the whole offseason, basically. He was miserable. And that's Jeter. Like he, Jeter wasn't like, you know, a lot of guys, I'm sure, were reflective. And what's what normal, normal, regular people do? Well, I got, we won four rings in five years. Nothing to be ashamed of. You know, we had a good run. Jeter's like, no, we played the games to win and we're supposed to win and we lost. And that it sucks. Like there's no, no consolation. There's no, you know, no second prize. It sucks. You don't win. It's, it's a loss. That's it. And you noticed in 2002, this was the beginning of the Yankees shifting their roster. Tino leaves, O'Neill retires, Knobloch and Brocious are gone. They bring in Giambi, who had a fabulous first year with the Yankees. It should not get yep. overlooked. Hit 314, hit 40 home runs. Did yep, everything, everything you they could asked. Have asked for, but mm-hmm. it did feel like that team, in many ways, was like an island of misfit toys. They talk about it. That's the only yeah. club. They bring in Raul Mondesi, Rondell right. White, uh, Nick Johnson. It just it felt off, and they put a together team in the Angels that nickel yeah. and dimed them to death. That ended up being a major thorn in their side. And I don't yep. know about you, Jacko. That was one of the more stunning series to unfold and watch. They won game one in dramatic fashion. And then the next three games, they got absolutely blitzed. Murdered. And I think that cohesion that they had that they lost definitely played a role in it. Well, you know, it was a classic Steinbrenner thing, too, because he says to Cashman, and I'd heard this quote before, where he's like, well, now we, we've tried it your way. Now we're going to do it my way. <laughs> like, I don't like Cashman now, but at the time, you can't argue with Cashman's way. They won four World Series in five years. And, and Steinbrenner, that wasn't enough for him either. So he goes the route of bringing in all the stars and guys he and his baseball people had heard of. But like, as you say, it didn't have this, whatever it was, it just didn't work. They weren't a team in the same way the 90s dynasty were. This is the same way that they were in the, in the 90s. So, yeah, it obviously didn't work. And the, that was the beginning of the Angels being, like you say, a thorn in their side for years, unfortunately. Then you get to the 2003 season. And I remember this very, very well. It is the Jeter party animal stories that were coming out. I used Big to time. pick up the New York Post every day before going to school. I'd get a bagel. I'd get a paper and I would either walk or take the bus and basically read. And I was like, uh, that that was my thing. There was no iPhones. There was none of this crap. Like, that's how I got my sports <laughs> news. I'm reading Joel right. Sherman and Mike Vaccaro and all those guys. And I remember that was a big theme big going deal. into the season. George wasn't happy. Jeter talks about how they went at it. And you were supposed to squash this. And it's pretty wild that they end up taking that moment between the two of them and turning it into one of the more iconic Visa commercials ever with George doing the freaking conga line with Derek Jeter. That was so funny. And I love the thing they said where George was like, you better get this in one take. I'm, I'm not doing, doing it again. Once. <laughs> right? And he looked like he was having fun in the commercial. He's a good actor, you know? So, yeah, that was funny. And, that's you know, that whole thing with Jeter, like, Jeter could really handle so much and he could handle the boss who was a freaking lunatic to work for. And, you know... Billy Martin could go back and forth with with uh, Steinbrenner, but a lot of guys couldn't. Obviously, Winfield had enormous problems. You know, he was the next big star after Reggie. He had enormous problems with Steinbrenner. But, like, Jeter didn't wilt when Steinbrenner yelled at him and said, you know, or he wasn't cowed in any way. He's like, basically, I'm going to live my life and fuck you, essentially. Like, you know? And Steinbrenner, I think, respected it because then Steinbrenner turns around and he makes him the captain and he does this commercial with him. So it's like... 
only Jeter, I guess. Well, you can, when you produce on the field and you're the, you know, if not the king, the prince of New York, according to Diddy, uh, you can get away with this stuff and Jeter could get away with it. But that that shows his character and like that he was the, the right guy for the Yankees, you know, because a lot of guys, a lot of guys would not have like given it back to the boss or would have sulked or would have pouted or would have gotten pissed off about it. 2003 is when the Boston Red Sox really start to emerge. And I don't know if you felt this way, Jacko. This was the first time in my life that I looked at the Red Sox and said, they're really good. Like, mm-hmm. I, I understand there's 86 years. I understand it's the curse of the Bambino. But they started to really put together a good team. Theo Epstein came in. They bring in Bill Miller, who won a batting title. They get David Ortiz out of nowhere, and he turns into this hitting machine. Uh, Todd Walker, Kevin Millar, Johnny yep. Damon at the top of the order, Derek yep. Lowe with Pedro Martinez. And they played in 3 some epic regular season games. And the moment for me, Jacko, I don't know if you felt this way. They played over 4th of July weekend. The Yankees had Roger Clemens and David Wells lined up in back-to-back games. And I'm like, Roger Clemens, David Wells, let's go. We're going to shut these guys down. They got absolutely pounded. Pounded. Like, 4th of July was ruined. The next day was ruined. And I'm like, shit, man. (laughs) The Red Sox are going to be a problem. When did you, as a guy who your entire life knew the Red Sox to be absolutely no threat and they'll never win, was that the moment you really started taking them seriously? Before that, after that, curiously. Well, it's well that season, I think, you know, because it's funny. We talked earlier about the 99 season, and I remember back in the day they used to sell DVDs after the Yankees would win a World Series and you would buy like a recap DVD they would put out a commemorative one about the season oh the and World Series inter- video yeah the World Series DVDs right I have I have all those so they were all VHS not- I think back in the day anyway right yeah D- the, D- the later years were DVD I probably had the VHS but the one for 99 they talked to Bernie Williams and they're talking about the Red Sox and they're like you know this Red Sox team is good and you know the, some of the guys in the locker room were like oh it's you know the Red Sox are good they got Pedro they're tough and he said Yogi Berra came through the locker room and he goes it's the red sox we've been beating them for 80 years and bernie's like oh yeah we have and he totally relaxed you couldn't do that anymore unfortunately in 2003 because they had competent ownership who was willing to spend money which was a rarity in boston because they had the you know they were owned by this trust and then you get john henry and the loathsome larry lucchino and you get theo epstein who's the boy wonder in there and you start to think like geez they they've put together somebody that knows what they're doing now unfortunately so and they're willing to spend money you know, they went out and made the splash. They spent a fortune on Manny Ramirez. They still had Pedro. And you're like, hmm, this, yeah, that, that I was already probably the beginning of that season and reading the previews and everything for the season that they, but I, but again, I, I'm sure I still had the cockiness of, but it's the Red Sox. We've been beating them for 80, 85 years at that point. So, you know, what could they do? But they were definitely like, you, you had them certainly in your rearview mirror, I would say definitely. I remember going to a regular season game that 4th of July weekend. It was the Monday game. It was a wraparound series. Pedro Martinez is on the mound against Messina. Great game. First Mm -hmm. inning, Pedro, don't give a fuck, sent Soriano and Jeter, boom, to the hospital. I'm throwing inside. You're crowding the plate. Get off my plate. The Yankees won the game, but it was one of those moments for me where I was like, yo, enough of this guy. I'm so sick of this guy. At that moment in time, in that 2003 season, my hatred for Pedro Martinez was to another oh. level. So sure enough, the Yankees and the Red Sox play some epic regular season games, and then they match up in the ALCS. And then Jacko, if they split the first two games, that Saturday afternoon, 
I had just gotten back from Manhattan College Invitational at Van Cortland Park. I got home just in time. I listened to the first inning or two on my old Walkman. My parents weren't even home, I don't think. I had to walk home. I think I might have ran home after the race because I, I, I want to get back. I want to watch game three. And that's one of the most wild and insane just sequence of events that you're ever going to see with Zimmer and Pedro and Posada and that backdrop and that scene. Dude, that's as good as it gets. And I was there. I was you, at this so one, I too. Know, you were at game three. I of was. that 2003 ALCS. Fantastic. I was. So I have a good friend. His name is Ryan Radmanovich, and he was a he played in minor league baseball in Connecticut. He married a dear friend of mine who's like my sister, so he's my buddy. And he had a cup of coffee in the majors with the Mariners in the early 2000s. But in the minors, he played with Bronson Arroyo. So he called me the day of the ga that game. I had just gotten out of the shower, and he goes, he was playing baseball someplace, and he called me and another buddy of mine who was a Red Sox fan, and he's like, I, Bronson Arroyo is going to leave me two tickets. Do you guys want to go? And we're like, yeah, of course we do. So my buddy picks me up. We drive to Boston. We parked in Newton. It's a zoo trying to get into Boston. By the time we got there, we missed the Jeter home run. So the Red Sox were already down. And we go to our we get to go to our seats. And we're sitting in the Red Sox, like, players' wives. Like the family, family section. section okay. Behind home plate. And we go to sit down. And then the... the <laughs> The thing with Pedro going behind hidden Kareem Garcia happened, which was as chicken shit as it gets because the Yankees were finally starting to Pedro, hit Pedro, and, and he was pissed, right. and he was like, "Enough of this!" Right, and they get, he gets the whole thing with Posada. I could see the whole thing when he points to his head, and 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 I like Jeter was the Yankee captain. Posada was the heart and soul of that team, and Posada was always looking to go with anybody, and he hated Pedro. As he oh, he hated Pedro, and he could never hit Pedro. He could never <laughs> he hit could him. Never hit him. And Pedro points to the head and he's like, I'm going to basically, I'm going to put one in your ear and Ben Jorge's like, I'm right here. Come do it, buddy. So my buddy wanted to go grab some beers and I'm like, let's just see what happens. Well, the next inning, they, the Clemens and the pitch to Manny was not it even, wasn't even close. close. It wasn't even, I mean, it, that was Manny just being a complete knucklehead and looking to start trouble. Absolutely. It wasn't even close. And then chaos erupts. So you could see the thing with Zimmer. I saw Zimmer get thrown down. J-Lo and Ben Affleck were at the game right by the uh, by, by the dugout. There's a trivia question. It was me, J-Lo, and Ben Affleck were the three greats in the stadium. Wow, not and Uncle Bill. A Bill from Los Uncle Angeles Bill. was not Bill at that was, one. Bill was, he didn't even know if he was in Los Angeles at this point, but he was not there. And it was complete chaos. And the rest of that game was complete chaos. So as soon as all that madness happened, I'm like, let's go get the beers. And we turn around and they shut down liquor sales. They stopped it. Because that, that crowd... That was the closest I have ever come to the Roman Coliseum. That crowd wanted blood. Like, if that crowd could have gotten on the field, they would have torn players apart. That crowd was so ugly. 85, you could feel it. Like, literally, like, you could feel it in the air. 85 years of frustration and pent-up tension, and they hated the Yankees. Now, I was wise enough not to wear any Yankee stuff. I was just wearing a regular golf shirt. I always kept it quiet because I knew I was going to be in the Red Different Sox world family section. Different Park then, Jacko. You know, you think Different about world. it now and you think about pre-2004, that was oh. an angry, nasty, hostile place. And listen, I'm not saying the old Yankee Stadium was any better no, if you wore Red Sox no stuff. They were going to give it to you there. Now I go to Fenway Park. I'm wearing Yankee stuff. Nobody oh, says yeah. a word. It's totally you go to, different. You go to Yankee Stadium wearing Red Sox stuff. Nobody's. It's just. It's such a different climate and such a different like just feel to the rivalry. So, so that game and like where we were was the you know we were right behind home plate in the Red Sox family section. Over to my left, two sections over was the Yankees family and wives and friends. 
and the Yankee wives were there and they had these little Yankee flags. And when the Yankees did something, they would wave the Yankee flags and a steady stream of people would ru- came running down the steps to give them shit. And like eight Boston cops would drag them by the neck up the stairs. I mean, this, that crowd, it was so insane. And when it was over, like people shuffling out of there were so miserable and they were like, we're never going to win. I'm giving my buddy all kinds of shit because now I'm cocky, right? And, uh, you know, I'm like, the Red Sox are never going to win. They had this slogan, cowboy up. And I'm like, I can't wait to cowboy up with tomorrow's paper and read about this game. I'm going to cowboy up with Sports Center and everybody's, you know, then I was cocky on the tee and whatever, back to our car. But that was like, if game five of 2001 was the best sporting event I ever went to, that that was the most surreal sporting event I ever went to. It was just, it, the crowd was like, you could feel it. It was crazy. Now we get to game seven. The Yankees lose game six. Pettit gets hit, and he was money in that entire postseason, so you're shocked. You're playing game seven. It's Roger Clemens against Pedro Martinez, a rematch of game three, and it's 4 nothing. Boom, Trot Nixon. Boom, Kevin Millar. Torrey has to pull Clemens from the game. At the time, you thought it was going to be Roger Clemens Final start as a Yankee, final start in the big leagues. Thought he was retiring, thought he was done. Messina, of course, is the unlikely hero. Gets the double play, works out of first and third. Keeps the Yankees in the game. Giambi hits two enormous home runs that keeps them in the game, but they're down 5-2 after Ortiz hit a home run against Wells. And I'll never forget this because Wells gives up the home run and the Fox camera jacko, and I have this in the doc, he is screaming, Fuck! Like, loud. Like, you could, yeah. it, it's loud, man. Like, yeah, sorry, yeah. I got loud there myself. But it was like what every Yankee fan was feeling. But Jeter in the eighth inning leads with one out, comes up and says, they're Boston. They're going to fuck it up. They're going to find right. a way to lose. Right. They're going to find a way to screw it up. Like, he just knew that in his heart. And that's what, you know, 80 years of history was behind Behind him, it's like what Yogi Berra said to uh, said to Bernie in '99. There, it's Boston. We've been beating him for 80 years, and Jeter had that in the back of his mind. And he appears reticent to say it, you know. But he's, but he's, you know, that's what he thought. And it was like, yeah, they'll find a way to screw it up. And back then, they did. Watching that game, I knew he was going to bring Pedro off to the eighth inning. I know Sterling was shocked. I know Red Sox fans were shocked. But the minute Bernie Williams gets the hit after Nixon misplays the Jeter double play that yep. should have been caught, in my opinion, yep. Bernie gets the hit. For Grady Little to not take him out with the way Embry, Timlin, and Williamson had pitched in a series, you were like, I can't believe he's going to be dumb enough to do this. Then Matsui hits the double. Then Posada, who never hit Pedro, two strikes, fist one in the center field. You're watching this, and it's on the heels of Bartman and the Cubs yucking it up. And when the Yankees tie it, I'm like, this is is over. Once they they tied it, I knew it was over, but... That yeah, because everybody was like, "Oh my God, a Cubs Red Sox World Series, and we're going to have 1908 oh, against 1918." So so oh, bad. they were begging for it, begging for it, and the poor poor Bartman thing happens, and then right after that, you know, and Nomar says that the documentary, everybody's like, "Well, it's going to be Cubs Red Sox," and then he's like, "And then we heard the Cubs lost," and it was kind of like the the doubt started to creep into him or creep into the Red Sox too, and and then sure enough, was, but then it was a great moment, and then now we ended up with Aaron Boone as our manager. Yes, an iconic <laughs> moment and should not be lost. Mariano Rivera. Oh. Three innings. And I asked And ready this, to go a fourth. Jacko, he said in the doc, he said it to me. He goes, not even a question. 
he was pitching a fourth inning of that game. Thankfully, collapsed on the mound after the game. About. What a what a moment! He's collapsed on the mound at the end of the game. He comes out, you know, it was like the, it was a Yankees walk off off the Red Sox, and he ends up slumped on the mound. Incredible, incredible game. Now, it doesn't mean as much to me for two reasons. One, what happens the following year, but you know what else really spoiled it for me, Jacko? The two thousand three World Series. And I know for some Yankee fans that year, they're like, "Oh, we beat Boston. It's this great win against Boston." No, I was. I was disgusted they lost that World Series. They were up two to one. Mike and the dog talk about it all the time. The people in Florida were like, hey, it was a nice year. It was a nice run. It's over. We're not winning. Right. Torrey screwed up that World Series badly because fourth game, he has Rivera in the bullpen, doesn't use him. Weaver gives up the home run to Alex Gonzalez. David Wells throws out his back in game five, and they don't hit Josh Beckett. And I'm glad Jeter is annoyed about this because – some Yankee fans kind of like brushed under the rug saying, eh, no big deal. No, 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 no. It's the World Series. You're up two to one and you lost and you flushed it down the toilet. That's horrible. Horrible. Terrible. Terrible. And, and I mean, when you, I used to always make fun of my Red Sox fan friends because everybody was always hyping up Carlton Fisk in 1975, you know, waving the Homer fair. And that was the great iconic moment for the Red Sox, right? That was the great Red Sox iconic moment. Well, you lost the World Series. I don't know if it was the next day or the day after, but you lost the you lost the game and you lost the World Series. So how do you have an iconic moment? So as great as 2003 was and Aaron Boone's iconic moment, and it was great to beat the Red Sox, and it gave me another I thought I'd have a lifetime more of breathing room. It only gave me another year of breathing room. But as great as that was, it's a little tough to look back and say, but yeah, but like they lost the World Series to the freaking Florida Marlins. I mean, you look at this Yankees run and they lose to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the Florida Marlins, you know, two expansion teams. I, I could take it a little bit more if they lost to some storied franchise. You know, you lose to the Cardinals or the Dodgers. But, I mean, these teams didn't exist 25 years ago at the time. And it's like they were going to lose to the Marlins and the and the Diamondbacks. But, you know, the Marlins were known for buying, you know, World Series in 97 and 2003 and then just having a complete fire sale, gutting the team. So, that's its own disgrace. But yeah, that, and Beckett, Beckett was lights out, just unhittable. The Yankees could never hit Beckett in his later Red Sox iteration either, unfortunately. So yeah, just terrible. And again, when you beat the Red Sox like that, and the Yankees and the Red Sox were the two best teams, they say that in the documentary. I mean, they were the they were the two far superior teams on paper. And then the, you figure once the winner of that's going to win the World Series, and then they didn't. Then you get to the offseason. I didn't like it because they said goodbye to Pettit. He goes to the Astros. Clemens comes Clemens. out of retirement, goes to Houston. I was really annoyed. Wells yep. isn't brought back. So the pitching looked drastically different. They yep. signed Gary Sheffield because he was George's buddy over yep. Vladimir Guerrero. And he had a great 2004, no knock on Chef, but mistake. Vladimir Guerrero yep. would have been a better move. They should have listened to Cashman on that one. But yep. in the backdrop of all this, Jacko, the Red Sox get Kurt Schilling. They go and get Keith Folk. And it looks like they're going to get A-Rod. And you look back on it now, kind of wish A-Rod would have ended up in Boston because who knows what the dynamic would have been. No Manny, clubhouse. You'll ne- you will never know how it played out. Right. But A-Rod wanted Boston. They wanted him. Players mm-hmm. Association said no. And then he's kind of dangling out there. Boom, as we know, blows out his knee. And this was pre-Twitter. And this was pre-any... I, I remember... I woke up and I was like, the Yankees just got A-Rod? You got to right. be kidding me, man. I thought, 
at that point, it's like, well, the Yankees can do no wrong against the Red Sox. Right. I remember calling Simmons and being like, hey, there's a, there's a thing on ESPN. Have you seen this? And he's like, no, what? I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, A-Rod's hey, going to the Yankees. And he was like, what? And he was so pissed off. And I was so happy because I thought he was going to be a Red Sox. And I'm like, oh, my God, if they, you put him and Ortiz, who's a Yankee killer, and you get, they have this Pedro and they got Schilling, you know, they could win a freaking World Series. God help us, you know? And there was all these other rumors about guys. And I'm like, geez, they're putting together a juggernaut. And so at the time, it was like, one, he doesn't go to your biggest rival. And then two, he comes to you. It's like Christmas. This is like Christmas for me. <laughs> you know, It turned out like it, it's funny how, you know, you th- it's one of the great what ifs of history, right? Sports history, because if A-Rod doesn't go there, like you say, Manny was involved in the trade to Texas. So you don't have Manny and Ortiz. You have A-Rod and Ortiz. And what's the clubhouse dynamic like? You know, what's it, what happens there? Does that change things? Is it, you know, it's just, he's not on the Yankees and the bad juju that that brought them. You know, you just wonder how things would have been different. And it's amazing to me that A-Rod in this documentary, having won a ring with the Yankees in 2009, ultimately, he says, I think it would have been better if I went to Boston and we had a, you know, magic and bird thing going with Jeter in New York and me in Boston. I was shocked to hear him say that. And it would have like, been a lot of Mr. fun, Yankees and it would have been very you know? different, and it would have played up the rivalry in that regard. Now, how about Cashman, basically at the baseball writers' dinner, Aaron joke almost having a beverage or two, and he hears that he's like, "Is this guy joking with me? Is he screwing around?" Right. Arod doubles back on it, and Cashman's like, eh, "Something to think about." And then the idea that George personally called Jeter, oh, Jeter. to ask him about Arod. Were you surprised about that? I was because, I mean, that really was telling because that shows you the respect that George had for Jeter because I guarantee when he made other big moves with stars in town, well, like Reggie, he never called Thurman Munson and there said, was how no do you call feel? To Thurman. No, no call chance. to Thurman Munson and saying like, how do you feel about me bringing in Reggie Jackson, right? And that led to, you know, the straw that stirs the drink and all that, all the bad blood there. So I, I, maybe George learned from that and he's like, you better make sure it's okay with Jeter. But like, you know, cause the old George would have been like, I'm bringing in the superstar. I'm paying the money. I don't care what the guys on my team think. I'm trying to make the team better as I see it. So that that's quite a telling thing that he called Jeter and had, and had to reassure Jeter. He's coming here to play third base. Yeah, that was, that was incredible to me really. And then how about the conversation with Jeter and A-Rod in Chicago? I never knew about that. Nope. I don't think it ever got out until this documentary. Right. You know, Jeter clearly looking uncomfortable. I remember that at the press conference. Like, he wanted no part of being at that A-Rod presser. Right. And they when he says, like, oh, I wasn't unhappy. They got to hear right. about Esquire all over again. So it's the two of them in the dugout. And A-Rod's like, hey, we good? And Jeter's like, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. And basically, Jeter, because you said this multiple times, he's always thinking somebody's got an angle. He's thinking somebody's got an agenda. Jeter, if you remember in 04, was awful for the first two months of the year. Swamp on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Went like 0 yep. for 35. First time yep. in his career he got booed. I think yep. the A-Rod stuff, he didn't admit it. I think it clearly got to him. And I think it was the idea, Jacko, that he was fearful of losing his position. And that conversation he had with A-Rod, where A-Rod was like, look, I'm not here to play third base. They needed that. They needed that. I think so. And what Jeter, Jeter says, too, is like he talked about it with his father. Neither he nor his father could ever understand if you're an iconic shortstop, why would you give that up? Like, why would you give that up just to play for the Yankees when you're already making a fortune? You know, because Jeter's like, I wouldn't do it. 
He's like, I'm not, I wouldn't move off my position. I'm the shortstop. I'm not going to do that for money or for some other team or whatever. So Jeter and I guess Jeter's father couldn't wrap their heads around that notion. So it was like, what's he up to? And this is just like, is he going to play third? And then it's going to be an inevitable, well, you know, he's going to hear the whispers and he's going to have to play shortstop. But, you know, and and he gives credit to A-Rod and we should all give credit to A-Rod that A-Rod's like, I'm not playing shortstop. I don't want to play shortstop. And, you know, if Steinbrenner tells me to play shortstop, I'm going back to Texas. You know, it's good job by A-Rod to have some understanding of of what Jeter was in New York and what he meant to the team, what him playing that position meant and not trying to like Bigfoot him out of shortstop. A-Rod, for all his flaws, he gets kudos from me on that one. 1,000%. And this episode ends middle of summer, 2004. I was at Yankee Stadium two days earlier. These games were events at this point. The Yankees Huge. and the Red Sox. And I think if you're young and you're like under the age of 25, you will not understand this. So, Jacko, it's kind of cool that I can be the old man in this situation here. There you go. Welcome I like to my it. World. It makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel cool. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the younger audience doesn't understand Yankees, Red Sox, it didn't matter if it was April. It didn't matter if it was July. It didn't matter if it was September. The sports world stopped. The cities stopped. The baseball world was on the edge of its seat. Every pitch felt like a postseason game. The drama, the intrigue, all of it. And you got Jeter and the Red Sox. Epic game. He makes this catch. He's got no chance to slow down. Catches it. Boom. Face first right into the stands. And at the same time, Jacko, remember, you had Nomar Garcia-Para sulking because he was supposed to be a part of the A-Rod trade. Yep. Didn't have a great start. He's on the bench. They said he was hurt. Some people wondered if he was hurt. He's sulking, and Jeter's basically going all out, doing anything he can for his team to win. It kind of, like, symbolized what Jeter was all about, and it kind of symbolized the end for Nomar with the Red Sox. I thought it was funny in this documentary because there's been a couple of moments where they've been really hard on Nomar. I thought like per- seemingly purposely where Nomar is like, well, in 99, we had the better team and they immediately cut to Jeter and he says, that's what losers say. In this episode, they have a thing where Nomar's like, you know, we didn't dislike anybody. I don't even like the word hate. And they immediately cut to Posada and he goes, we hated them. We hated them. <laughs> we hated them. So it's like twice now they've like made Nomar look ridiculous. But the chance they had to make him look legitimately ridiculous was in that game because there's a legendary scene where that, that you know, every one of these Yankees Red Sox games was like a, was like a you know, Ali Frazier heavyweight fight. And there was there was a scene where every Red Sox is up on the dugout, standing steps. on the top of step. Yep, and he's sitting on the bench, and he's sitting there. And like you say, Jeter is laying him laying out in the stands. They thought he broke his orbital bone. He's bleeding from his mouth and his cheek. And Nomar is sitting there as if it's he's at a you know it's a it's a spring training game, and he's sitting there on the bench, seemingly uninterested. Still pouting, maybe about the A Rod thing, or he's not happy there, or whatever it was, and that that was the thing that you know they shipped him out of town shortly thereafter, and I think that might have been the final straw for Theo and the boys to say like he's got to go, you know. So they could have like brought that up, and they didn't. They didn't emphasize that in the documentary. And I'm not trying to kill Nomar, but there's a couple times where I'm like, boy, that was a little hard on Nomar because he says one thing, and then they cut to a Yankee saying the exact opposite. And they let him off the hook on that one where he was legitimately like not interested and not involved to the degree that the rest of his teammates were. And how about ending this episode with the quote of Jeter basically saying, if we don't win, somebody else is winning. Like, we're not playing in the backyard, and I had a problem with it. It bothered me, and I liked it. 
when it bothered, when it bothered people on, on our, team. our team. Right. That was very cryptic. Like it bothered, you know, he's like, it bothered me. I, it bothered me. And I liked it when it bothered people on our team. So it was like, he, it's cryptic that people on the team were like, eh, you win some, you lose some. Not for Jeter. And he took note of that, you know, always taking note of, <laughs> of how everybody's reacting and how they should be reacting. Yeah, I noticed that too. Jacko, I believe it is now time for some awards. So I'm going to start here. Favorite moment of the episode. And there are a lot to choose from here. There are a lot to choose from. Is there one that stands a, out for you? Well, my favorite moment, and I'm going to say is because, like I said earlier, it's the best sporting event I ever went to. The Brocious home run because it brought back so many memories. I mean, that was just such a fantastic moment. There's a lot of good moments in this episode, but that that one's going to be my favorite just because I was there and it was so good. And, and I, you know, it was so great. So... Um, and Jeter, and I like the way Jeter turned and said, can you believe this shit? Like, even he was flabbergasted by it. That's my favorite part. Uh, I can't fault you on that. I can't fight you on it, especially as I was there. But I'll give a different one for the sake of being different. The Visa commercial with Steinbrenner that was and funny. Jeter. It's just like, it's one of the last memorable moments of George being in the public light. And it right. involves this iconic New York Yankee. And they're, sh they're just, it, it's tremendous. It's to funny. me, like, that fun, that back and forth. The boss, Jeter, like that to me is something that's going to live forever. All right. Now, absolutely. Corleone moment. There are a couple to choose from here. Do you have one? Well, there's a couple. Yes. I would say, well, I, I like the quote of, I liked it when it bothered other people. That's a, that's a Corleone quote right there. You know, it bothered me. Losing bothered me. And I liked it when it bothered other people. The sit down with A-Rod to be like, I don't understand why you would leave third base. Like, you know, why you would leave shortstop rather to play third base because I would never do that. That was a pretty good Corleone quote, too. I'm going to go with his interaction with George W. Bush because oh, there, there I go. think That's it's pretty one. Don Corleone-esque. That's true. To see the president of the United States and he's looking to make small talk and chit-chat and Clemens told a great story and was all over this. Um, but for him to basically be like, don't bounce it. Right. Better throw from the mound. They'll boo They'll you. Boo you. Right. Classic. That was good. That's a classic. classic moment. Yes. Now, I thought this was a tough episode to find an MVP. Oh, okay. Um, I have one. You do. All right. I yeah. have, I think I have one, but I don't love it. I got to be honest. I don't love it. I think Posada was the MVP. I think, I thought Posada was the MVP. He had so many, I, he had so many great quotes when he says, when the, when Pedro threw at Kareem Garcia and he goes, I wish he would have rushed the mound. We were ready. I hated him. And then when the whole thing happens with Zim and he goes, I was looking for Pedro. I was looking for him. I love Posada. And he's freely admits he hated him. <laughs> a lot of guys would have, you know, we're fellow baseball players. We would dance around that. And Jorge's like, no, I hated him. And then when they say, who should have fought him instead of Zim? And he basically says, anybody. Anybody else. <laughs> anybody, anybody else. else. Well, we're on the same page with Posada because you could tell his disdain for Pedro Martinez, his disdain exists. for the Boston Red Sox. Right. Just like the intensity that he brought was the perfect yin and yang to Derek right. Jeter. And you can really tell and you can understand, Jacko, why he and Derek are such great friends. I, yep. I got no problem with that. We're giving the MVP this episode to Jorge. Pip, Pip, Jorge. Absolutely. And like you said, like, you know, Jeter was the captain, but he's like the Michael Corleone. He's the he's the uh, he's the cerebral guy. Jorge's the sunny. Like, oh, he's the sunny. <laughs> give me There's a garbage no can lid, and I'm going to hit somebody in the head with it. You know, he's a sunny buddy. Yep. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the first four episodes. This next one, I'm not going to lie, it's going to suck. I'm just just yeah. warning you now, it's going to suck.
Yeah, there may be. At some least we know the script. At least we know what happens, so it's not going right. to surprise us. Not on the edge of my seat about the outcome, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, looking forward to episode five and six. Jacko, good work. Good work by Stefan. And we got to thank, of course, the greatest closer in the history of baseball, Mariano Rivera. We're back with episodes five and six next week. Jacko, be good, buddy. You too, friend. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.